0: The Scots warm things up on January 25th by celebrating the birthday of their favorite son, poet Robert Burns. Folk singer Jim Malcolm recommends going to a Burns Night Supper if you're
1: invited. It's just all the good stuff. People wear the kilts, play bagpipes, people drink lots of whiskey, they eat haggis, they dance, they sing, they tell
0: jokes. Homegrown poets and playwrights hold a special place in the hearts of the Irish... W.B.
2: Yeats helped start Dublin's Abbey Theatre and gave Ireland its voice in the early 20th century. He kind of reinvented Ireland almost at a time when we were in a very down time, like just after the famine. William Butler Yeats gave us a pride back. And explored the places that inspired mystery
0: writer
3: Agatha Christie at her hometown in Torquay in southern England. Not only being a best-selling author, but having so many accomplishments as well, one of which incidentally was being a very charming, accommodating and loving grandmother. Meet Agatha Christie's grandson and
0: celebrate the bards of Ireland and Scotland on today's Travel with Rick Steves. The people of Ireland and Great Britain hold a special place in their hearts for the poets and authors who tell the stories of their lands. Today on Travel with Rick Steves, we'll get in the spirit of Robert Burns Day like they do in Scotland. And the grandson of mystery writer Agatha Christie takes us into her world in the south of England and takes your calls at 877-333-7425. For such a small country, Ireland's literary impact is profound. Poet W.B. Yeats was the first Irishman to win the Nobel Prize in Literature back in 1923. As we're about to find out, Yeats' poetry also helped set the stage for the newly independent Republic of Ireland. The only place I've ever seen a poet working as a street busker was in Dublin. I'll never forget this guy. He was like a street musician, but he did poems by request, only in Ireland. What is it about poetry in general that the Irish are so enthusiastic about? To explore that, and specifically the poetry of W.B. Yeats, we're joined by Barry Maloney and Stephen McPhillamy. Barry Maloney is a tour guide down in the south of Ireland, in Kinsale, and Stephen McPhillamy resides in the north, in Derry. Barry and Stephen, thanks for joining us. Cheers, Rick. Thanks, Thanks, Rick. Rick. Of all the poets in uh, Ireland, Yeats is central. And uh, Mm. just what does he mean to you guys?
2: Well, he's the national poet. He won a Nobel Prize for Literature Loads of other accolades. We learn about him at school. Actually, when I was at school, I didn't like Yeats poetry all that much. But to quote Yeats, then I was young and foolish. And then as I've grown older, like I've really got into his poetry now, and I think the guy's an absolute genius. Of course, the rest of the world knew that already. But I've just really embraced him and a lot of his poetry has hit the mainstream. You know, he's, he's quoted in movies and songs. And, well, what is genius about him?
0: How, how can uh, a young guy who's not inclined to like poetry suddenly recognize Yeats is a genius?
2: Well, a couple of things about Yeats' poetry. One is he led this movement called Celtic Twilight Poetry. Like he kind of reinvented Ireland almost at a time when we were in a very down time, like the late 1800s, just after the famine. Mm-hmm. Not everybody was interested in patriotism and cultural nationalism, but mm-hmm. William Butler Yeats Gave us a pride back, you know. He brought in Celtic crosses and mysticism and okay, it's kind of like
0: swirling and twirling and like Robert Burns in Scotland. Absolutely,
2: yeah. Same and sort of thing. Give,
0: Victorian age and in yeah. getting people a respect. And this was a time all over Europe that small downtrodden groups were their spirits were bolstered by romantic writers and, and poets uh, and, and musicians. There's something
4: there's something in Yeats to suit everybody. His early poems are nature based. His central ones are all about what was going on in Ireland at the time, like Irish independence and. The, New Free State, right? And his later ones are all mystical, magical, and supernatural. So he
2: has quite a variety. This and is cr- he's got some great romantic mm-hmm. stuff too. You know that old eternal topic yeah. pops up. Like Yeats was haunted throughout his life because the one woman that he loved, he couldn't get her. Okay, that and that tortured that, him. And, a and lot that of helps a poet be a better poet. Unrequited uh, love. yeah. Yeah. that's right. And there's a lot of men, you know, as we all know, we can't get the woman we want. So, <laughs> so you, you know, you can always read about it in Yeats's poetry. Or sit down and write your
0: own poem. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Yeats. We're talking about poetry in Ireland. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Mary Margaret's on the phone in Muncie, Indiana. Mary Margaret, thanks for your call.
3: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: I would like to know, I'm going to be in Ireland in... What are the best kind of experiences
3: that a person should should do or, or go to, to to really understand Yeats poetry and how it affects us better?
2: Well, there's one brilliant first stop, and that is the National Library in Dublin. Mary has a Yeats exhibition that's been running now for some years, and it is absolutely fantastic. It's free of charge, and you could easily be in there for half a day, Mm. and it's just got some great artifacts and exhibits. And also, Yeats was a very complex character. There was a sort of a dark side to him in his later life, and uh, this exhibit does not hold back from presenting the full William Butler Yeats Mm. warts and all. So this is the National Library? National Library, just beside the National Museum and, the and also national the National Museum is one of the
0: great museums you've got to see that and while you're there be sure to
2: check out the National Library yeah and it's only a hundred metres away or one minute walk from the National Museum right. so check that out first well, Barry uh, Super,
4: well my favourite place to appreciate is near Galway Cool Park where he composed a lot of his nature based poems it's seven forests of native Irish trees interlinked in a national park now Irish National Park and you can walk through the forest and from time to time read presented nicely, poems by Yeats in the inspired forest. by the forest itself.
0: What's the name Ooh. of the forest?
4: Cool, but it's spelled C-O-L-E, Cool Park. C O O
0: L E Park, in uh, On, near, near Galway. Near Galway,
4: yeah. And, uh, you know, you could combine
2: that, a visit to Cool Park, with a visit to Yeats' burial place. Up in uh, Sligo, up in Drumcliffe. That would be the grand finale then, to go and see his actual grave, up in Sligo in the northwest of Ireland so there you go you got the National Library where you can learn the
0: context you got the forest on the west coast where you can walk and be inspired by nature and read those poems and then you can go to Sligo and uh, make your pilgrimage to Yeats's tomb
2: on his tomb there's a very famous epitaph it says cast a cold eye on life on death horseman pass by growing up in Ireland none of us have any idea what the hell that means but that's the whole point It's very cryptic and Say it again slowly So I can try to understand What it does not mean Cast a cold eye on life On death Horseman pass by So he just said that To cause you to think And, and thousands of people Stop there every week uh, um, I bring tours from Galway To Derry And we stop off there I got in trouble some years ago For telling the tour members That we would be doing A WC stop At William Butler Yeats's grave Because <laughs> that's what I wrote On the itinerary And some people thought I should have worded it A bit better Oh, well, you learn with experience. Mary Margaret, thanks for your call.
3: Thank you, and thank you for the answers. I look forward to plugging that into my itinerary. All right.
0: Thanks, Mary. Sally's calling from Lavelle in Pennsylvania. Sally, thanks for your call.
3: My pleasure. Whenever I think of Yeats, I think of that beautiful, peaceful, alluring poem, The Lake Isle of Innisfree. It's always been my favorite. I was wondering... Stephen
4: loves that poem. Lake, the right. Lake
0: Isle of Innisfree. Do you know that? Before you talk on, Sally, let's let Stephen read that poem.
2: This poem it was even in that movie Million Dollar Baby with Clint Eastwood some years ago and Hilary Swank. The Lake Isle of Innisfree, William Butler Yeats. I will arise and go now and go to Innisfree in a small cabin build there of clay and wattles made. Nine bean rows will I have there a hive for the honey bee, and live alone in the bee-loud glade and I shall have some peace there, for peace comes dropping slow, dropping from the veils of the morning to where the cricket sings. There midnight's all a glimmer and noon a purple glow, an evening full of the linnet's wings. I will arise and go now for always night and day. I hear lake water lapping with low sounds by the shore. While I stand on the roadway or on the pavement's grey, I hear it in the deep heart's core. Mm, Something about poetry in Ireland, it's
4: like a...
0: A declaration of life is real. We can be connected. We can appreciate it. Ireland is so full of beautiful nature, and to have a poem that can connect you with that, it's quite nice.
3: Mm -hmm. Thank you.
0: Any other thoughts, uh, Sally, on on, uh, traveling in Ireland and appreciating the poetry?
3: Well, I'm looking forward to one day traveling in Ireland, but I just think that hearing the poems of Ireland in the dialect of language and mm-hmm. accent of Ireland is is just magic and I appreciate that.
0: You know, there's something about Ireland, you just learn there's, there's more to appreciate about life. I mean, Ireland has lived so much heartache and so much joy and it feels so real when you're there and it's music. Of course, you can enjoy music in the pubs and in mm-hmm. and the song of the people and it's also complemented by poetry and in so many ways the music and the poetry come together and maybe that's in every country but in Ireland, it's really accessible for the yeah. tourist, and, th- and the, that's what I like.
4: It's the emotion, you know? You yeah. mentioned the, the poetry, the rhythm, the traditional music. When you hear the traditional music in a pub out in the west of Ireland with a storm beating on the door of the, the Dingle pub, it will make you feel so Irish, and you'll want to beat that rhythm into the floor. That's exactly it. Beat that rhythm into it the floor. Into the dance floor. It. I love to take notes in a
0: pub, because if you're a creative writer, you just it's just like picking berries everywhere. There's just observations, and I always feel like people are stomping the paint off the floor, and, and you <laughs> the, just said yeah. to beat the rhythm into the floor. And you got that, and you got the cigarette with the long ash that's yet to fall off of the cigarette, and you got the beer maid with six pints stacked tall, empty pints still with the froth on the lips, and you got all the twinkle in the eyes of the people around you, and you just feel like, whoa, I'm <laughs> in an Irish pub. There's music, there's poetry. I'm a tourist, but I'm right there. Mm. Sally, thanks so much for your call, and, and best wishes in Ireland
3: and thank you for bringing me a taste of Ireland right here.
0: All right. Tour guide Stephen McPhillamy and Barry Maloney are taking your calls at 877-333-RICK, sharing the Irish love for the poetry of W.B. Yeats with us right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Stephen McPhillamy, let's sum this up with uh, a little more Yeats.
2: Well, you see, my own personal favorite Yeats poem is called An Irish Irma and Foresees His Death. This is about an Irish... Man who in World War One decides to join the Royal Air Force and go off and fight the Germans. And he's up there in the clouds in one of these rickety old early aeroplanes and uh, he's thinking to himself, why am I up here? I don't hate the Germans and I don't love the British. Mm-hmm. The reason it resonates with me is that my own grandfather, who was from Derry, an Irishman and a Catholic Irishman at that, uh, joined the British Army and landed on the beaches of Normandy and was probably the first time he'd ever met the Germans was when he fought them hand-to-hand on the beaches there. So I always think about him in this poem because I know that he didn't hate the Germans and I know he didn't particularly love the British that he was fighting for. So this is called An Irish Airman Foresees His Death, written in 1919. I know that I shall meet my fate somewhere among the clouds above. Those that I fight I do not hate and those that I guard I do not love. My country is Kiltartan cross, my countrymen Kiltartans poor. No likely end could bring them loss or leave them happier than before. Nor law nor duty bade me fight, nor public men nor cheering crowds. A lonely impulse of delight drove to this tumult in the clouds. I balanced all, brought all to mind. The years to come seemed waste of breath, a waste of breath the years behind. In balance with this life, this death. This man was there for the sheer thrill of just being up there for adventure.
0: I can understand how you said Yeats is just genius, Hmm. brilliant. And how it'd be easy not to appreciate him. And anybody who's going to Ireland
2: might want to uh, get familiar with Yeats before I think they go. So. Yeah, I really think it would be an enhancement of and your Irish holiday.
4: Another parallel to that poem is Yeats was Anglo-Irish. His family had roots in England. Right. He was offered an English knighthood. He refused. That is
0: interesting because he's not your true blue Irishman. He's got English heritage. Mm-hmm. But he was uh, empathetic with the Irish people enough not to take that knighthood.
2: Yeah. He's an Irish nationalist.
0: And today he's recognized as, as, a, as a great character in Irish literature. Yeah,
2: I think he's universally respected, definitely.
0: That's right. Stephen McPhillamy, Barry Maloney, thanks for an opportunity to appreciate Ireland in a way we might not otherwise appreciate Ireland. This is so important for travelers to let themselves be poets as they adventure around this world. Very true. Thanks,
4: Rick. Yeats. Thanks, Rick.
3: Now they ride the wintry dawn where Ben Bulban sets the scene. Here's the gist of what they mean.
0: We'll take a cup of kindness next to honor the legacy of Scotland's favorite poet, Robert Burns. And later in the hour, the heir to author Agatha Christie joins us to recommend sites and festivals in southern England where we can practically walk right into the scenes of an Agatha Christie mystery novel. It's a real page-turner today on Travel with Rick Steves. Each year on January 25th, Scottish people all around the world gather to honor their much-loved poet from the 18th century, Robert Burns. They celebrate what they call a Burns' Night Supper. A while back, we invited Scottish folk singer Jim Malcolm to join us on Travel with Rick Steves. He was traveling between concert gigs, and our studio near Seattle was just on the way. Jim Malcolm specializes in turning many of Burns' lyrics into music and joins us now to help all of us enjoy what Robbie Burns means to the Scots. Jim, welcome back to Travel with Rick Steves.
1: Oh, it's great to be back in the Pacific Northwest. Nice uh, to have
0: you here, and uh, must be fun to share the the passion for Robbie Burns to uh, a lot of uh, Scottish-Americans and and honorary Scottish-Americans.
1: You know, it's very flattering, actually, just just how loved this guy who lived in Scotland all these years ago is. What what is it about Robert (laughs) Burns? I mean, there's a lot of great poets
0: you got, you know, uh, in Scotland and beyond, but Robbie Burns... It just makes anybody who loves Scotland
1: stand up and put their hand in their heart. Uh, you know, I, I remember when I was studying philosophy uh, when I was a student, you talked about modern philosophy being footnotes to Plato, and that Plato sort of like just coined everything, and the rest was just froth. Well, with, with Scottish culture, it's, Robert Burns is like, you know, it's like, Scottish culture is footnotes to Burns. decodified. you know, he kind of... And this was after the... Uh, terrible
0: defeat of, of the Scottish rebels against the English, right? And this was when Scotland was being downtrodden by the English yeah, Empire. But yeah. he brought Scottish pride and recognition
1: and romanticized it. Even he was one of the quite a number of people, musicians and and writers and thinkers and academics who who were worried that the Scottish culture was being eroded. Right, and one of the ways that he thought that he could preserve a lot of the beautiful melodies was to enshrine them in songs. So, so he, there is a connection with music and poetry and Scottish nationalism all in
0: Robbie Burns.
1: Uh, yes, yeah. I mean, he wrote some some cracking songs about this whole war, really, between England and Scotland that had happened 100 years before, right. you know, Robert the Bruce. So the he wrote Philip the music and, and the lyrics? No, he, he was more a lyricist. You know, okay. he would, he would start he'd... off with a good tune. What's well, a good example? Can you give us an example of some, some way where music and Burns poetry all comes together well? Yeah, he was in a pub in Edinburgh or somewhere and he heard an old man playing this beautiful slow air on the fiddle mm-hmm. uh, and he thought the man looked so frail, you know, that he needed to get this tune from him and, and write a song around it and preserve it. Uh, and that's "Old Lang Syne. And, and this is actually a, the original melody because the melody that, that is now song is different. Huh. It's more kind of straight, it's more Should Acquaintance be Forgot a Happy New Year! <laughs> uh, but this is the original melody. Should all the acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind. Should the acquaintance be forgot for all. Lang Syne For Old Lang Syne My Joe For Old Lang Syne We'll talk A cup of kindness yet For Old Lang Syne
0: this is Travel with Rick Steves we're joined by Jim Malcolm who's a Scottish troubadour and we're talking about the impact today of the poetry and the spirit of Robert Burns and the music related to that Jim that was beautiful now did I understand that was an air a a violin solo that Burns himself would have heard in a pub yep
1: that's how he worked, and people he loved
0: the he loved the melody, and he thought I need yeah. to uh, enshrine this in Scottish culture somehow. And so,
1: so once he became renowned for doing this, people would send him melodies, tunes. You know. Yeah.
0: So the tune would survive if it had great
1: lyrics to it, or it would be a way to well, immortalize that, it. That's kind of the way that it has worked. That is the way. That's the way, isn't it? way that it works. Yeah. You know, the tunes and and words kind of find each other. Uh, sometimes it's the other way around, sometimes it starts with a poem and the words. Uh, the, the tune jumps on top so, of it, you know. You know,
0: if you feel this when you're in Scotland, this passion, this, I just love traveling in so many ways, because you meet people who really, they know every little peak on the horizon, they know the history of everything they're drinking, they know their national poets, they tie it into their music. What is it about Robert Byrne's poetry that, that really endears him to a, a Scottish person?
1: just the immediacy of his writing you know he just gets to the when he wants to talk about love he goes straight for the jugular if he wants to have fun he could write anything he could you know if if robert burns had been Alive today, he'd have been straight to Hollywood making musicals. And, right. You know, right. he would have been absolutely. So this just, was kind of pop culture in its day. He, but he was brilliant. You know, he was. Can he, you.
0: Is there something. Uh, you're a songwriter. Is uh-huh. there something you've written that was inspired by some piece of poetry that you loved from Robert Burns that works together?
1: I have actually written a tune to a very long poem that he wrote called uh, Tam O'Shanter. Uh-huh. Uh And. I just was so inspired by his poem that I, I decided to put a tune to the whole thing and, and you know... Uh, oh, could you share a little bit of that? Well, yeah, I could do a, a little bit of it. It goes on and on. I mean it, Well, I go, just I, do a little bit, yeah. but also
0: um, translate, because I have a very
1: tough time mm. with the Scottish. Well, you know, this is... I wouldn't be that... It would take as long to translate it as... Uh, <laughs> What's the gist of what we're going to The gist of doing? it is, is this guy called Tamashander, who's a drunk, uh, and he's at the pub, uh, and he is so drunk That when he goes home on this terrible, terrible stormy night, uh, he comes across an old haunted church with, with witches and warlocks dancing and the devil, you know, playing the bagpipes and stuff. And he gets completely carried away with this one beautiful witch to the point that he actually shouts out through the window, well done, cutty sark, which means well done, short skirt. And uh, Cuddy Sark is short skirt Well, it's, uh, actually it's, a Sark is actually more like a vest but, but okay. we, we wear our vests under our shirts it's, it's kind of undershirt anyway it's one of yeah. these things that, different from you guys so, so I, I've, I've, you know when you described yeah. that
0: I could see if I was a poet yeah. stepping into some of these almost haunted churches in Scotland and yeah. be yeah. inspired to write that I was just in one in Inverness yeah. Jim Malcolm let's hear a little bit of Robert Burns and uh, Scottish folk music
1: when Chapman Bellies leave the street And through thing Neighbours, neighbours meet When market days Are waiting late And folk be again to Tack the gate As we sit Boozing at the Nappy And getting food Unhappy. We think now on the long Scots miles, the mosses of water, slaps and stiles that lie between us and our hame, where sits a sulking sullen dame, gathering her brows like a gathering storm, and nursing her wrath to keep it warm. This truth and honest tamashanter. As he free every naked canter, all their wonder surpasses for honest men and bonny lasses. O oh, Tam, hast thou been Say wise and told thy ain wife Kate's advice? She told thee well. A was to scale him, A blither and bluster and drunken And blell But frae November till October I market day was na sober elka Milner with a miller Thou sat as long as thou had siller. Every nag was kind of shoe on Smith and Beegard a roaring a At the Lord's house even on a Sunday Thou drank with and Jean till Monday She prophesied it later soon Thou would be found deep drowned in doom, Or catched by the mark Of all was old haunted kirk O oh, gentle dames it gars me greet To think how money comes so sweet How many length and sage advises. The husband free and the wife despises. And it just goes on and on to describe his journey to the. Yeah,
0: well, uh, the poems can go on and on in the music, and it just, I can see it in a pub
4: (laughs) getting everybody together.
0: (laughs) This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're listening to Jim Malcolm singing Scottish folk music specifically, inspired by the great Scottish poet Robert Burns. To hear more of Jim's music, you can go to his website at jimmalcolm.com. Jim, when I was listening to you, even though I didn't understand this, the old Scottish, it reminded me what a passion Scottish people have for lyrics and words. I mean, great poets, great writers, great passion for communicating with the word. You're a you're a oh, songwriter. Well, well, what is it about Scotland and the word?
1: Well, my wife is probably the most pedantic person you will ever meet. I have to pronounce all my words properly. <laughs> yeah, so pronounce like, them properly in Scottish.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, just, uh, I remember I was getting exasperated with her once, and I said, you know, you really are the high priest of pedantry. And she said, priestess. <laughs> That's right. That's, <laughs> bingo. So, well, uh, yeah, we, people get very passionate about the language. They just it's well, kinda, and, yeah. and when you think about it, I, I can't think of many
0: countries that have a, a, actually like a national holiday for the birthday of their, their favorite poet. I mm-hmm. mean, what, January 25th is Robert Burns right. Day. And no, every no, year, no, no, Robert, Robert Burns Night Robert Burns Night. Night. What happens yeah. on Robert Burns Night in Scotland every
1: January 25th? Well, it, it doesn't just happen in Scotland. It happens all over the world. Right. Uh, and in fact, and I was actually performing at a Burns dinner in Chico, California, California. Yeah. last Burns Night. And... It's just all the good stuff. Uh, people wear the, their kilts. People play bagpipes. People drink lots of whiskey. They eat haggis. They recite <laughs> his poems. They dance. They sing. They tell jokes. Now, you've produced a DVD, which is called Bard Hair Day. Yeah. And
0: tell us about that. And and you dress up like Robbie Burns and well, play was, the role.
1: This was something that I actually did uh, for the 250th anniversary right. of, of his birth. I dressed up as Robert Burns. Actually, when I did dress up as Robert Burns, I was a bit shocked at the attention I got. Uh, It turned me into a complete babe magnet. And... uh my wife just <laughs> she's not too keen. You know, on it, I'm looking at the cover. I you, it's
0: not a, you'd, you'd, with a after a couple of whiskeys. I think you do have a little resemblance to Robbie yeah, Burns. But I yeah. was just in the National Gallery, the Portrait Gallery in Edinburgh. Oh yes, yeah, and a there lovely. are beautiful portraits yeah. of Robbie Burns, and he yeah. must have been a babe magnet back in the oh, 18th oh, century. Oh, oh
1: goodness, no! I mean, he had he, <laughs> just by the number of, of children he had. you know well, you he, can, had, yeah. he had he had, and he was, was always
0: uh, roaming around on the road. I was just in a little hotel in Kenmore, and there was a poem written by him on the chimney in his hand they say
1: yeah yeah and it's not a very good one actually it's funny you like, know the yeah, one I'm talking about <laughs> yeah yeah because he, yeah, you know, I read it thinking I,
0: I don't I, I gotta like, appreciate this better. you could
1: imagine the people saying right Robbie here's the wall you'll pick you, you know, right, write a poem he's going with a hangover he's going oh god uh, uh, your rivers are bonny and your trees are bonny too <laughs> <laughs> One of the Let's obscure, of one
0: of the one of the other hits of Robert Burns <laughs> We're speaking with Jim Malcolm. We're celebrating Robbie Burns and traditional Scottish folk music. Tell us about um, what's called Burns Country. How can we splice in a little bit of Robbie Burns into our trip?
1: Well, uh, Burns Country really extends from Alloway, where where he was born, and you can visit his cottage and there's a museum there. And that's on the west y- coast of Scotland. Very it's close. On the to the west just coast. across from Ireland. Yes, it's uh, also close across from the Isle of Arran, which is a lovely island. Mm-hmm. And also Ilsa Craig, which is where all the curling stones in the world come from. Oh, okay. This, this island, they have this phenomenal ground. So I- the island of... Aran. Isn't, doesn't Aran. Aran mean island in Celtic? Yeah. Uh, there's an Aran Isles in Ireland as well. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of like Island Island, isn't yes, it? Yes. Yes. Like, <laughs> well, it's okay. like uh, the Valley of Strathmore. You yeah. know, uh, Strath means valley. Oh, you know, so the and, Valley of valley Avon Moore. means river. <laughs> yes. They so go Avon River, the Avon, the River River, the Valley Valley, and yes. the Island Island. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They like to they right like near to Celtic. It. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, Cuscus. so good we named it twice, you know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and Burns' country extends really down to Dumfries, which is closer to the English border, and that's where he died. And he uh, he lived in three different locations in and around Dumfries. Uh, so these are the, the two real hotspots. Well, if I'm, if I'm just travelling around Scotland, and I happen to yeah. be there on a, a day when people
0: are thinking about Robbie Burns, uh-huh. can we just close with a song, uh, Jim Malcolm? You're so good with Robert Burns and the music. Troubadour of the Year, Scots Singer of the Year... Um, what would you like to hear if you had me as a visitor in a pub uh, in your hometown?
1: Inspired? Well, I'll, I'll sing a wee song that Robert Burns wrote about himself. Oh, great. Which uh, sounds a bit egotistical. You know, that's enough of me talking of me. What do you think of me? <laughs> so uh, it's called "Rantin' the Rovin the Robin. And uh, it, it basically, he, he basically tells the story of his, his entry into the world, you know, and what people thought of him and stuff. So uh, I'll sing it for you. A lad was born in Kyle But what in the day or oh, what in the style I doubt it hardly worth the while To be seen nice we Robin robin was a robin boy a robin rentin robin robin was a robin boy a robin robin the monarch's sign most year between was five and twenty days began was in a blast of january when blue and Boy, Rentin' Robin, Robin He'll aim as fortune's great or smart But I'll head to Boon and Ma you will be accredited as a Well, I'll be proud, oh Robin Robin was a Robin, boy Rentin' Robin, Rentin' Robin Robin was a Robin, boy Rentin' Robin, Robin
0: beautiful to hear more of Jim Malcolm's beautiful Scottish music go to his website jimmalcolm.com Jim thanks so much and it just it just reminds me when you're in Scotland don't think of it as a bunch of museums and castles and palaces you gotta save time and energy for the social scene the musical scene the cultural scene after dark in the pubs with the traditional music
1: (laughs) after dark that's why it's called Burns Night Burns (laughs) Night that's right Whoa. Robbie Burns
0: appreciating Scottish <laughs> Trad. Thank you. You're very welcome. Cheers.
1: For old wine sign, my dear. For old wine sign. We'll tag a couple kindness yet. For old wine sign.
0: Jim Malcolm tells us he plans to celebrate Robert Burns Day this year with a house concert in San Diego. He's touring the West Coast of the U.S. through February with concert dates scheduled for Greater Los Angeles, Monterey Bay, Berkeley, Chico Davis, and Mendocino. Then he heads up to Oregon and Olympia and Bellingham, Washington. Jim's planning the to tour the Midwestern U.S. in April. His latest CD of traditional Scots tunes is called Spring Will Follow On. Samples of his music and his touring schedule are available at his website. That's jimmalcolm.com. You can also listen to Jim Malcolm's previous visit with us in the Travel with Rick Steves archives. Search for program number 363 from May of 2014 at ricksteves.com radio. Now that we've enjoyed the literary arts from Ireland and Scotland... Let's explore some of the sites associated with one of England's favorite authors. Up next, meet the only grandchild of Agatha Christie. Matthew Pritchard manages her legacy and heritage, and he joins us next to recommend sites we can visit that inspired the best-selling author in the world. 877-333-7425. That's our number at Travel with Rick Steves. So, give me the polite words in Welsh. Because when you go to Wales, you should at least know that please, thank you, and uh, here's to your health, right? Yeah, well,
1: unfortunately, they're, they're difficult ones. Uh, please
0: is da Wow. Is wow. da Thank you is Boy, oh boy. I know, I know, I know. Good morning is da Good day is, well, we'd say da or plan da depending on what part of the day. And if you're going to toast to somebody in a pub? da So, so yes. da is the key word when you're in a pub yeah. in Wales. Count to 10 in Welsh. In Christie with now deck wow Agatha Christius, the world's best selling author in English except for the Bible and Shakespeare that is pretty impressive something like seventy nine novels, nineteen plays, twenty two short story collections, six romantic novels. And she left with her a lot of just travel mystique and intrigue. And when we think about traveling to England and when we think about people's passions for Agatha Christie, there must be some great ways to tie that together. And that's what we're going to talk about now. We're joined by Matthew Pritchard. And Matthew is uh, Agatha Christie's only grandson. And now he's sort of in charge of making sure the whole Agatha Christie legacy lives on. And he joins us now to talk about Agatha Christie, his grandmother, and travels in England. Matthew, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. So what is your role now with the heritage of of Agatha Christie?
3: It's pretty wide-ranging. I mean, I suppose what takes up most of my time is the sort of commercial managing of the property, the worldwide film and TV rights, publishing rights, and all the modern things that emanate from them. That is, so to speak, the business side. But um, in some ways, the most intriguing side is the sort of heritage and the legacy. At home, I have a coach house behind my house, which contains the Agatha Christie archive, which contains all her notebooks and Mm. all sorts of photographs all the way through her life. Amongst other things, apart from being an author, she was a very accomplished photographer. So we have lots of photographs, many of them taken by herself my life is spent dealing with a person who i think was almost unique in the 20th century not only being as you've said a best-selling author but having so many accomplishments as well uh, one of which incidentally was being a very charming accommodating and loving grandmother
0: what an exciting responsibility you have inherited and it's just for me to be talking with you and having many people listening who are dreaming about going to england and who are agatha christie fans This is a great opportunity for you to be our itinerary coach. If you had an American friend who just loved the writing of your grandmother and they're going to England and they want to lace it together, what are some itinerary tips that you would give us? What would we be sure to include in our tour?
3: Well, I suppose, and this is uh, perhaps rather a boring answer, I suppose I'd start by going to The Mousetrap, which is the play that she wrote in the 1940s, opened in 1952, and is still running at the St. Martin's Theatre in Land in London.
0: still it going after 60-some been... years, and uh, it's a very, very good place. So you'll be able to find that for sure when you're in London.
3: Just down the road from the mousetrap, you must get some directions when you get there. We commissioned a, um, a little sculpture, which is on the corner of the big street just sort of near the mousetrap, which has a little portrait of her head inside and a little summary of her personal life and her business life on either side. We felt that, you know, although at various stages in her life there have been plays of hers and films of hers that you could usually go and see in London, but there was nothing permanent that you could actually, uh, although I suppose the mousetrap is permanent, but Mm -hmm. we didn't know about that, but something permanent that you could go and see and uh, rejoice in in her life and achievements. So that's just round the corner in Covent Garden. And um, slightly more indirect, so to speak, Um, there are many people who think Brown's Hotel, which is, I think, in Albemarle Street, is sort of very like uh, some of the hotels that um, she wrote about, notably a book called At Bertram's Hotel with Miss Marple in it. Hmm. So, you know, that's a very short account of what you might do. And that's in London. What about in the countryside, Matthew? Well, in the countryside, the sort of prime venue would be Torquay, in South Devonshire, about a three-hour train journey from London. Takes a bit longer if you go by car. That was where she was born in 1890. And if you've read her autobiography, you will find long and fascinating accounts of her childhood and how she was brought up without going to school and simply learnt how to read and write. And Mm -hmm. that maybe is the basis of why she turned out to be a writer.
0: So is there actually a site in Torquay about Agatha Christie?
3: There isn't one site, because unfortunately the house she was born in got torn down about 40 or 50 years ago. Mm. But there is, if you go to a place called Tor Abbey, which is right in the middle of Torquay, you will be directed to um, the Agatha Christie Mile, which takes you to one or two beaches where she used to bathe in the water, and one or two sites of books like Elbury Cove. And Tor Abbey is really the center of where everything happens. And there is also a small museum called Torquay Museum, which you can visit which um, has actually some of Hercule Poirot's exhibits from the films. Now, that's on the south coast of England, right? The, the English Riviera. Yeah, that, that's right. So there's a lot of
0: interesting things to do there, whether or not you're interested yeah. in Agatha Christie. And, and
3: perhaps most significantly, a short drive from Torquay, I mean, I should think half an hour in a car, is a big house called Greenway, which used to be owned by my grandmother and my family, where we used to spend summers in my childhood sort of in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s, which is now a public property owned by the National Trust. Now,
0: that's good because that'll save the heritage there, and nobody's going to tear that down now.
3: No, nobody will tear that down. Indeed, they've just spent some eye-watering numbers of millions to make sure that nobody does tear oh, it down. My goodness, Greenway, that's good to know. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Matthew
0: Pritchard. Matthew is the only grandson of Agatha Christie, and his responsibility is to take care of the heritage and make sure that uh, those who are fans of Agatha Christie know how to connect with physical places in her life that helped inspire her and, and shape her writing. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Becky's calling in from Camino in California. Becky, thanks for your call.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, a week or so ago, I was uh, watching the wonderful PBS series, *Poirot*. Um, an episode called Dead Man's Folly, And um, I thought I recognized some of the outdoor um, settings in that episode, and I wondered if that was filmed at Greenway.
3: If you watched a, a film called Dead Man's Folly, the outside shots that you saw, or some of them at any rate, were indeed Greenway. I was present at a very emotional occasion, which was literally the last day's shooting of the whole Poirot series, which has taken, what, 25 years to film. Oh, yeah. And David Suchet did his famous mincing walk up the steps towards Greenway House. And um, uh-huh. um, you are quite right, the outside shots, or most of them at any rate, of that film are indeed Greenway, and it was quite an emotional place to end the whole series. Oh, well, it, it looks like a wonderful place to uh,
1: tour, and I understand... The National Trust is offering tours now. What would be a good time of year to visit Greenway and Torquay?
3: I've been going to Greenway all my life, and I suppose my favourite time to go there is in March and April when the garden is at its peak with magnolias and camellias. And, of course, it's lovely all summer. But um, for a real special occasion, the time to be in South Devon is September when the Agatha Christie Festival takes place in Torquay. And there are various events and discussions and films and plays to do with Agatha Christie.
0: That sounds so exciting. This is a week-long festival that's each uh, September every year in Torquay. And would people have uh, discussion groups? Would there be plays? Would there be performances? What would you uh, experience if you were there for a few days?
3: All the things you mentioned take place. Uh, There are some discussion groups. There are, you know, Agatha Christie specialists of one sort or another. That is a great idea
0: to look forward to any year. If you like Agatha Christie, if you're intrigued by going to England, it's a beautiful part of England, the South Coast, and uh, make sure you coincide your visit with the um, International Agatha Christie Festival in September. Matthew, we we're talking about Greenway. I understand it's sort of, the intent is for the public to actually go into the, uh, into the home, and it's as if uh, in the 1950s, like the family just stepped out for a few minutes. Is it to your satisfaction uh, taking you into that world?
3: Very much so. I mean, I think my family decided to uh, donate to the National Trust, not only the house itself, but a goodly portion of its contents, because that was exactly what we wanted. I think we felt that we wanted to create for visitors the most authentic possible visit that we could.
0: So what's an example, Matthew, if I'm stepping into Greenway? Just give me one room that you particularly think is fun for an Agatha Christie fan to, to step into.
3: Well, I suppose the most evocative room is the library, which has obviously a lot of Agatha Christie books in it. has a couple of collections of China that she collected. And best of all, it has around the ceiling, it has a frieze, which was painted by an American naval officer. The house was requisitioned by the American Navy in the Second World War. Hmm. And one of their officers painted this um, frieze round the library wall, which shows the progress of his flotilla, various places in America, the Mediterranean, mm. ending up at Greenway in 1944. And my, I remember my grandmother asked, well, I don't remember personally, but I remember my mother telling me that my grandmother was asked whether she would like this frieze removed. And she said under no circumstance it was a brilliant historical record of of the Second World War. Sounds great. Hey, Becky, thanks for your call.
1: Well, thank you very much.
3: Okay, bye now.
0: Television episodes of Agatha Christie's Mystery Stories of Inspector Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple are often featured on public television. The Poirot series with David Suchet is also available online at acorn.tv. We're exploring the story behind the stories of Agatha Christie on Travel with Rick Steves with her grandson, Matthew Pritchard. He manages the Christie estate and licenses the rights to her works. Dave's on the line in Lake Forest, Illinois. Dave, thanks for your call.
1: Hi, Rick. Thanks for taking my call, and hello, Matthew. I was fortunate enough to live in Cheltenham for a few years and uh, have been sailing down on the River Dart a couple times and have have come to know uh, Agatha Christie a little bit that way. I'm preparing for a, a return visit here in March, and I was curious if there were any Agus Christie uh sites or things of that nature in the Cotswold that I should check out or anything else that might be nice to go and visit uh, in March.
3: Well, um, I'm not sure there's anything specific because she tended, with the possible exception of Greenway, not to, so to speak, tie the, the sort of sites of her books to any one particular property. But if you... If you live in the Cotswolds, you will know, I'm sure, of many, many villages, little villages with with old stone houses and all that kind of thing, uh, which I'm sure are what inspired her to base Miss Marple in St Mary Mead. You said you lived near Cheltenham, but I'm sure within 10 miles of where you lived, there were three or four St Mary Meads. And um, if not perhaps you, um, I'm sure many of your fellow Americans would like to drive around the Cotswolds, which is a very beautiful part of England, and spot a few St. Mary Meads. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it is a very beautiful part of the country. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to my return trip.
0: Have a good time there, Dave, and uh, I hope you find uh, some of that Agatha Christie inspiration there. I will. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for your call. Bye now. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Matthew Pritchard. Matthew is the only grandson of Agatha Christie, and his responsibility is to take care of the heritage of the the world's best-selling author in English, except for the Bible and Shakespeare. What an amazing woman. What a prolific writer. And what fun to be able to go to England and follow the Agatha Christie trail. Matthew, I was reading about you discovering these tapes that your grandmother dictated for her last memoirs, apparently in the attic of the Greenway House, Can you tell us about that and how that helped you with your work?
3: My mother was very good at keeping things, but not so good at finding them. I'm sure maybe many of us have mothers and grandmothers like that. That's
2: a beautiful way uh, to put that.
3: (laughs) But anyway, after my mother sadly died about 10 years ago, it was one of my first duties to go over all the cardboard boxes that were in Greenway, which some of them you know, held a good deal of rubbish, but sometimes one came across a tremendous historical nugget and One of them was these uh, tapes, which were tapes of the last third, roughly, of the autobiography that she published, was published just after she died, and of the last portion of her life. That was, I think, particularly poignant because, as most of her fans know, she wasn't very good at giving interviews, so there isn't much available of her actual voice. And to have this sort of, I should think, you know, 16 or 17 hours of her voice, what 30 years as it then was after her death, was a great find, and we use excerpts of it now for various reasons. There's a lovely little piece concerning the, her invention of Miss Marple mm. and, and all those kinds of things, but it was, uh, it was a great find. Miss Marple insinuated herself so quietly into my life that I think I hardly noticed her arrival. She had a this in common with my grandmother. But although a completely cheerful
2: person, she always expected
0: the worst. Now, Matthew, you remember your grandmother from when you were a small boy and she was still alive, and then you listened to these tapes uh, much later. Did you learn anything about your grandmother or, or her personality that you had romanticized maybe as a child and, and then you learned more about her personality? Or, or how did that impact your understanding of Agatha Christie?
3: Well, I suppose as I got older, the one thing that became very clear to me was that uh, inventing the plots of detective stories was one thing, but having the determination and energy actually to commit them to paper, whether it was by means of a dictaphone or a typewriter or whatever, uh, was quite another. And I think what I admired so much, after all, I only really knew my grandmother in middle age and, and afterwards, Uh, was the absolute determination that she had to go on writing until a very late stage of her life, a thing that she did really so as not to disappoint her fans and to make sure that every year there was what was then known as a Christy for Christmas so that she didn't disappoint the fans by not writing one. Hmm. And, okay, if you're a real Christy fan, maybe the last couple of books are maybe a little disappointing, but really it is astonishing that she wrote so many excellent books Um, in our 60s and 70s.
0: A Christie for Christmas. Isn't that a loving thing for a person to do who's got a lot of fans and just knows they want some more of her beautiful writing? This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been speaking with Matthew Pritchard, the grandson of Agatha Christie. Matthew, your grandmother was so prolific, and now you're left with a, a massive heritage to take care of. It's a lot of work, and you've got countless fans you know, rumbling around England and enjoying the mousetrap and a theater in London and and reading all these novels before their trips. When you think of your work, taking care of the heritage of Agatha Christie, what about that gives you the most energy? Why do you even bother?
3: Well, uh, her heritage not only includes physical objects like tapes and notebooks and all that kind of thing. I think perhaps the most enjoyable thing that I do is to meet her fans all over the world, and they are a part of the heritage too. Quite a lot of them are sort of in their 50s, or, or th- and they've mostly been reading Agatha Christie all their lives, and one of the most astonishing things um, that I have learnt is that Agatha Christie books, plays, and films are eminently transferable either by country or by language or by medium, I mean to television or plays or whatever, And I think that to meet the people who uh, actually enjoy whatever it is that I produce in the commercial side of the business is immensely instructive and immensely inspiring. It makes all the difficult negotiations with, uh, I hope there aren't too many lawyers listening, but with lawyers and accountants and all that kind of thing worthwhile. Mm -hmm. Because my grandmother reckoned herself not only to be an author, but an entertainer. And I think the fact that she is such a consummate entertainer is one of the reasons why her heritage has lasted so long.
0: She really is an entertainer with, uh, with legs. I mean, this heritage will live on and on, and, and best wishes with your work to uh, organize and, and keep that heritage vivid and accessible to all of us travelers. Matthew Pritchard, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton, Sarah McCormick, and Isaac Kaplan-Wilner. We get website support from Andrew Wakeling, and our theme music is by Jerry Frank. Thanks to the BBC in London and Chad Campbell at Acorn TV for their help this week. You can join us as a caller on the show to talk with Rick and his guests, including Rick's upcoming interviews with many of his tour guide friends from Europe. Find out how at ricksteves.com radio. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Europe, one small
4: group at a time. This year, you can choose from more than 40 different vacations in Europe's best destinations, from Ireland to Greece, and practically everywhere in between.
0: Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.